Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise of forgiveness. And we ask that this morning from these verses in Luke, you'll help us to see that ever more clearly and by your spirit to believe it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, do you ever wonder if you can be forgiven? Maybe you fear that uh, this particular sin is too big. Maybe that you commit it too often. Or maybe you're mired in guilt. Guilt for not being good enough to be forgiven. Or maybe you think forgiveness isn't for you. You're just not one of those respectable religious folk who go to church. You don't deserve to be forgiven. Or maybe the issue for you is the issue of sin. Sin really isn't that important. Or maybe sin was something that you were engaged with before you became a Christian, but since you become a Christian, it's no longer an issue. Maybe sin is about those really awful people, the paedophiles, terrorists, and the murderers. And you may well find yourself agreeing with uh, the sentiment that was spoken to a young curate in Pinner many years ago. He was told, there is no sin in Pinner. Well, if any or all of the above uh, apply to you, then you're in the right place this morning listening to Luke's Gospel. Because Luke writes for those who are not good enough, for those who are not religious enough, for those not part of the in crowd. He writes for the outsiders. He writes about Jesus, who says in these verses earlier in the Gospel, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he wrote his gospel to a Gentile called Theophilus. So to all outsiders, Luke writes that you may have the certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So we have very good news this morning. We can be forgiven, we can have the assurance that we've been forgiven, we can be certain that there is no barrier in our relationship with God, all because of the Lord Jesus, who he is and why he came to this earth. Let's uh, pick up uh, Luke chapter 7 at verse 36, and our first uh, heading is Jesus, the prophet who knows. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. As is uh, so often true in the Gospels, although Jesus is the guest somewhere, he turns out to be the one who is in charge. Now, as, uh, as you'll know, the educated, the religious elite have been keeping their eye on Jesus commenting on what he's up to, what he's doing, what he's teaching. And that commentary is invariably 
negative. And it's particularly negative around those he has been associating with. But this incident suggests that there may well have been some among the scribes and the Pharisees who were yet to make up their mind about Jesus. There's no hostility towards him here. This is no setup to trap him in his words or by an action. It appears to be one of those meals where there would be conversation. And on such occasions, the doors would be thrown open and almost anybody could come in and sit and listen. And there may well also have been the opportunity for the poor to beg scraps or to eat leftovers. And that explains this odd situation to us and why the woman has access. Why? She's not told off for being there. So while her presence would not have alarmed the diners, her behaviour certainly did. Look at verse 38. And standing behind uh, Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointments. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. She is continuing to uh, touch Jesus. And Simon's unspoken thoughts are undoubtedly the thoughts of all those present. And Jesus knows the attitude of these religious leaders to those like this woman. And if you look down to verse 47, he also appears to know the woman. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Jesus knows the heart of people. He knows how easily we write off others as not being worthy of salvation. He knows how consciously or unconsciously we treat those different from ourselves. If you want to be brought face to face with that in a very uncomfortable but real way, please do listen to the conversation on our blog with Bramwell and Ben. Jesus knows the depths of our sinful hearts. And because of that, he came for sinners. He came to preach good news to the poor, that is those who would humble themselves before him, knowing their need of him as well as their inability to help themselves. Those outside the circle of privilege like this woman, who was almost certainly a sexual sinner, maybe an adulteress, maybe a prostitute. So may Jesus' knowledge of and acceptance of others open our closed hearts and closed minds. By the work of his Spirit, may he make us more welcoming more generous, more willing to share the good news 
with those outside our circle. Uh, Secondly then, verses 40 to 43, Jesus the teacher who asks. Jesus the teacher who asks. And as so often in the Gospels, Jesus turns the tables on his host. Uh, Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Now, if only Simon had read Luke's gospel, he could have saved him a mountain of embarrassment. Uh, There are three other such uh, meals in Luke, and on each occasion, Jesus rebukes, tells off his host. But notice that although Simon may have been having doubts about Jesus as prophet, he still accords him the respectful title of teacher. A rabbi. And he also appears to recognize, maybe too late, that he is caught by Jesus' story. Glance down to verse 35. Simon answered, uh, 43, Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he cancelled the larger debts. I suppose. Now, we must admire his courage, we must admire his uh, truthfulness, because there'll be many occasions later in Jesus' ministry when those confronted with one of Jesus' questions duck the question, refuse to answer it. He doesn't do that. Now, the story Jesus tells is a simple story. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? It's a moneylender releasing two of his clients. Uh, A surprising, improbable scenario, most likely. Imagine you've had to take out a loan to see you through lockdown. Well, it's as though the person you took that loan from says, debt cancelled, nothing to pay. Imagine that on your car lease. Imagine that all the more on your mortgage, particularly if it's a recent one. For the first, this debt of 500 denarii is about 21 months wages, two months for the second, and that's working on a six-day working week. So the first debt, 10 times more than the second. Well, it's obvious, isn't it? The first will love more. And this woman knows she is a sinner. Everyone she meets reminds her that that is the case. Society at large, let it be known. Consequently, her knowledge of her debt towards God is clear. Therefore, her gratitude Her love towards the one who has forgiven her is therefore great too. Three times in the passage she's spoken of as a sinner and three times Jesus reassures her that she is forgiven. She has some idea of all that she has been forgiven. But the Pharisee, 
Does he see, does he know his debt? Does he even realize he has a debt? So when he goes to the temple on the Day of Atonement and the sacrifices are made, how does he feel then? Does he recognize all that he has been forgiven for? So are we more like the woman or the Pharisee? How would we answer Jesus' question for ourselves? How will we, how do we respond to Jesus' generosity? How does our love match up to God's love for us? Thirdly then, verses 44 to 47, Jesus, the one who forgives. Jesus, the one who forgives. Jesus highlights the devotion of the forgiven. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. The first thing we need to be uh, crystal clear about is that the woman is not forgiven because she washes, kisses, and anoints Jesus' feet. She does these things because she has been forgiven. Uh, The uh, tense of the verb in verses 47 and 48 is a perfect tense, which in both cases means God has forgiven. You cannot earn forgiveness via devotion. You show your love for Jesus because you've been forgiven. Uh, Just as uh, we might say, it's uh, raining outside because the windows are wet. We're not saying the rain was caused by the wet windows. The wet windows are a sign that it is raining. They're evidence. And the woman's actions are evidence that she has been forgiven. And her devotion contrasts with that of Simon in three instances. He falls short. She does more. Foot washing was probably not required by the host. Therefore, there's no deliberate slur against Jesus from Simon. But of course, that makes it all the more commendable coming from her. She did more, Simon did less. He fails to offer the kiss of greeting, which would have been customary. She, out of her humility, kisses Jesus' feet. The the verb is the same. It's an intense verb at this point. Now, four times in the account, Jesus' feet are mentioned, echoing verse 38. Washing feet would have been the role of the slave. That's the service that Simon could have provided. But in her humility, the woman does it herself. 
She gladly takes this position because of the greatest gift, the gift of forgiveness, which she has received. And thirdly, Simon misses the special courtesy of anointing with olive oil. And she goes beyond by not anointing Jesus with oil, but with perfume. Consequently, the Pharisee has much to learn from the sinner. She puts the educated religious elites to shame by her actions. Now, you may have noticed that throughout this account, she is silent. Nowhere in these verses does she speak. But we would have to say, wouldn't we, that her actions speak a thousand words. She shows us how the humble, poor believe, while those with all the advantages fail Jesus. So does she shame us too? What do we have to learn from her? Are we at St John's a bit too cerebral, a bit too cool in our devotion to Jesus and the way in which we choose to express it? And while, of course, we're not to parade our good works, we're not to show off, we are to spur one another on to love and good works. So how do we show our love for our devotion to Jesus? How might we do that more publicly? Well, obviously, one thing we can do, one thing that is a real encouragement uh, between us, is asking each other how our walk with God is going. How are we enjoying the Bible at the moment? What are we enjoying about our Bible reading currently? What's the exciting thing that's going on in our prayer life at the moment? But maybe it could be something concrete, something in terms of a plan we'd had to maybe build a new kitchen. And we see somebody uh, when we're meeting together again, and we say, oh, how, how is the new kitchen? What happened with that? And the response is, well, we decided that um, this uh, mission agency we support, they were much more in need of that money than we were of a new kitchen. Or maybe as a family, you'd talked about a big family holiday next summer in order just to reward everyone for getting through uh, these months safely and together. But a few months later, when uh, you're asked, oh, where, where did you book? Where, where are you looking forward to going? Your response is, well, actually, we decided that it would be much better for the children to, uh, to go on camp this summer Instead, so we're, we're not doing uh, the holiday. Now, you'll be able to think of, of better examples than, than I have. But as a community of those who know they're forgiven by Jesus, let's keep asking ourselves the question, let's keep encouraging each other to grow in our devotion to the Lord Jesus, to express that love in our good works by our lives as well 
as our lips. Uh, Lastly then, uh, verses 48 to 50. Uh, Jesus, who is he? Verse 49, then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Here is the question that we all have to face up to. The question we've all got to ask for ourselves, the question before it's too late, we must answer. Who is this? On the one hand, will we believe the forgiveness Jesus has won for us? Will we be sure? Will we be able to repel the accusatory, condemnatory darts of the evil one as he tells us that we cannot be forgiven? We're not good enough. We keep on doing the same things. We keep on messing up. May we hear even louder, even more clearly, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. But we also need to make sure that we're honest enough to answer the dinner guest's question. Who is this? Maybe it was a discussion they had, or maybe as the footnote suggests, and Simon's earlier uh, expression would suggest also that this is what they were all thinking. Now, this is interesting because I think it suggests that this group have not written Jesus off. They're not crying blasphemer as happened in chapter 5 when Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sins. We don't know what conclusion they came to. But in Luke's second volume, in the Acts of the Apostles, he tells us in chapter 6 that in Jerusalem, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So there is hope, even for the educated religious elite, even for the clergy. So if you're looking into the Christian faith, please remember that it is all about a person, this person, Jesus Christ. What do you make of him? And if you are a Christian, please remember that the life God has given you to live is to be lived in gratitude, in devotion to him, because of the gift of forgiveness, because of the gift of peace with God. Jesus came into the world preaching good news to the poor, to those outside the circle of privilege, of respectable religious society, to those who know their need of forgiveness, who know they cannot help themselves. Jesus came that we may be sure and certain that in him we have forgiveness. By faith, putting our trust in him, we can have a relationship with the creator, Lord of the universe. We're at peace with him. We can live our lives confident of his care for us. 
he continues to welcome all sinners, all those outside the circle of privilege. He continues to encourage us to play our part in that, as he wants us to be sure and certain of our faith because of all that he has done for us. Let's pray and then we will sing together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise of peace. We thank you for the promise of forgiveness. And we thank you that we look to the Lord Jesus as the giver of these things. Please, by your Spirit, help us to know him and help us to serve him with our lives as well as our lips to your praise and glory. Amen.